Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words in Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be with one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the small catechism with the ninth and 10th commandments. These commandments are, are quite fascinating. One, why is there two of them? The next, next aspect of this is, what does coveting mean? It's something I always find interesting. Someone will say to me, I covet your prayers. Well, I always thought coveting meant jealous. But if, so am I, am I jealous for your prayers? Do I desire your prayers? Do I w- want your prayers? How does this all fit? We're going to find out today. What does this mean, as Luther says? So let's find out. Dust off that blue or maroon, Christ-filled little book for God's gifts already. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Every day we hear from people around the world, and I want to hear from you. During my previous time on Thy Strong Word, I asked people to just tell us where they're studying the scriptures from, and I ask you to do the same. Where are you studying the Book of Concord with us? And on KFUO, we know that it is worldwide KFUO, and we've heard from people in the Philippines, we've heard from people in Japan, from China, even from Russia. All of these places around the world, and of course, in the middle of Iowa. All of this comes together knowing that we are indeed confessing Christ and doing so together. So send us an email. Tell us where you're listening from, even if you don't have a question, at kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you very much, Brady. I'm glad to be with you. Now, Pastor, you've been on with us uh, with Thy Strong Word, but I think there are some different listeners to this. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church that you serve. Well, the church I serve is in Fort Wayne, and uh, we're a large congregation. Uh, we have two full-time pastors. We have 18 of us, uh, mostly retired guys, in the congregation, including several from our seminary. Uh, my wife and I moved to Fort Wayne 11 years ago this December. And prior to that, I was a Baptist pastor. And so in moving to Fort Wayne, I attended the first Lutheran church in my life uh, in December of 11 years ago. I was Mm. confirmed uh, two months later, and two years after that was admitted to the ranks of the the ministry and the LCMS. So uh, my wife and I love being Lutherans and love being in Fort Wayne. Well, then this is interesting because we kind of assume the only way to Lutheranism is that you were in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade and you <laughs> studied the small catechism. So there's other routes, evidently, huh? There there are other routes. And I think that some of the kids that uh, are in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade uh, are greatly cheated if they're not hearing it at home as well, which is what Luther always emphasized, that the, the, the home was the place for catechesis. And so I hope that our listeners take seriously the opportunity to unpack the the gem of the small catechism. Uh, with the first time I read the small catechism, it was almost as if uh, the scales fell off my eyes. And I said, this has got to be the most brilliant 
thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And it is, it is something important. And this goes back to what we've been talking with every guest to this point is that in the small catechism, which we will be using Luther's small catechism with explanation, which is the 2017 version, um, from CPH that you see on page 13, which is where we start the 10 commandments. And then you get to the first commandment, but in between, and you just spoke about it. And I want to ask you a little bit more as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. As I mentioned, well, there's more than one way to become a Lutheran, not just sixth, seventh, and eighth grade from six to seven on Wednesday nights. But pastor, um, you know, this is kind of words that we often have not heard. What is Luther trying to tell us? Well, that the Christian faith is not simply about what we do on Sunday. It's, it's an all embracing, uh, ex, uh, experience with God. And, and it's important, you know, those of us who baptize infants believe that we baptize and then we instruct, and that instruction is awfully important to nurture faith and to secure it, especially living in a world like we do, where so many of the kids in public school and anybody who's watching uh, broadcast television or cable television or is on the internet is getting exposed to ideas that are exactly the opposite of what uh, scripture teaches and what we believe, teach, and confess. And so uh, it isn't enough just to wait until a, a child is of sixth, seventh, or eighth grade age to be exposed to this truth. They need to be hearing it and seeing it lived out uh, in mom and dad uh, daily. Uh, I teach three days a week uh, a religion class with middle school kids at our church school, and I see how important it is for them to get a head start and not wait until they're in middle school to take seriously their faith. And that's my encouragement to your listeners is to think of different ways that you can teach the faith. If, you're, if your child is in a Lutheran school, faith should still be nurtured at home. Um, if your child is at a public school, then faith definitely needs to be nurtured in the home. And the small catechism is a very simple and concise, as we said, in a simple way to his household. We exhort you as fathers to teach that faith, but also mothers, if there are circumstances, you are continuously an important piece of teaching the faith to your children as well. And that's one thing I know in my own life that clearly my father is a LCMS pastor and very blessed with his instruction, but also very, very blessed in many different ways um, from my mother. And so just an encouragement to all of you. I keep you, our listeners, in our prayers as you instruct. And even if you're a grandparent, as Pastor McFadden is as well, we can teach our grandchildren in simple ways as well. So thanks be to God for that. But Pastor, we break it going. We could talk about this the whole time. We are in the ninth and 10th commandments. And I want our listeners, this on page 15 of Luther's Small Catechism, that it is interesting that these are separated. So here's what I'm going to do, Pastor, is I'm going to read both commandments together, ninth and 10th commandment. And I want you to, um, you've done some research on this, is why are they separate and what makes that unique? So let's, let's get into it as we hear the word of God. The ninth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get it in a way which only appears right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God 
so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers, or animals, or turn them against him, but urge them to stay and do their duty. As we hear the word of God this morning, Pastor, it does bring to mind because different denominations and different histories or theologies actually don't separate these two, but Luther does. So any thoughts on separating, not separating, where are we at, and, and what does this mean? Yeah, uh, our Reformed friends uh, separate out the commandment on idolatry and, and images and call that the second commandment. And the really, really strict ones, the, and there aren't many of them, but the really strict ones won't even have a manger scene or, or cross or a trinity symbol because they believe that's a violation of the second commandment. Uh, fortunately, there aren't many of them around. Uh, since Augustine, hmm. we've kind of uh, divvied it up differently and separated the ninth to the tenth. And I guess the easiest way to, to look at it is the ninth commandment deals with the, the issue of property and the tenth commandment with the issue of person. Both focus on coveting, but the question is in the ninth, you focus on coveting with respect to a person's property and and their goods, and the 10th commandment focuses on coveting with respect to their family uh, and some of those and, and some of those matters. So Luther, uh, in the small catechism, he does follow the, the, the separation of the 9th and the 10th, uh, and he deals with each one differently. But in every other work that I could find of his, he tends to put them together. So I'm happy with the fact that our Catechism separates them in the small catechism, but when you get to the large catechism, you're going to read that he groups them together and kind of explains them in terms of the basic idea of coveting. And so tell me this, Pastor, as I, as I mentioned in the introduction, that one, we don't use the word coveting very often in, in normal conversations. You don't have a lot of coveting when you watch and the word is not used when you have an NFL game on. You don't hear from your teachers. You don't hear it from speeches very often. Maybe you do, but maybe I'm not noticing. But coveting is a word that we'll use in the church. So can you give us a, I guess, a layman's term or a sim simple people like myself, a, a definition of coveting? More. I want more. <laughs> I want yeah, more money. Good. I want more uh, experiences. I want more food. I want more tastes. I want more senses, sensual delights. I want more power. I want more position. It, it touches on everything that we call greed. Uh, Luther used to say, the world is one big whorehouse completely submerged in greed, where the big thieves uh, hang the little thieves. And uh, that idea of more is really behind it. That idea of not being content. The opposite of covetousness is contentment. Um, in, the, in the passage and in the lectionary that we've been looking at the last few weeks, we saw the problem of a, of a man who uh, misused his father's money, the prodigal. And mm -hmm. then we saw the parable of the unjust steward, someone who misused his, his boss's money. And then you get the, the rich man in Lazarus and you get someone who misused his own money. But in all three cases, you've got that, that underlying sense of, I want more. I want it now. That, that greedy discontent with the place God has put us and what he has graciously seen fit to give to us. 
and this is a good example of wanting more is is well like house or home you know uh and one time I, when i served in wisconsin we had a very nice parsonage a very big parsonage and one time one of my pastor friends came and, and we were upstairs and he, they were helping us his family was helping us paint and we we're just having a, just a great time together and he he looked out the back and we had a nice very nice backyard and and he said oh my goodness this is an amazing backyard and then he said Okay, I repent of my coveting. <laughs> <laughs> and that really opened my eyes to it because I was like, yeah, that's an example of, oh my gosh, my life has to be much more, as Luther says, a life of repentance. Because how easily it just sneaks in. You're having a good time giving thanks to God for, for the gifts of your friends and, and family and your children. And all of a sudden you look outside and you see a nice yard like, oh my gosh. I want more backyard. I want more of this, more cowbell, as you would see in Saturday Night Live, more of that. Pastor, why does it sneak in so fast? And what do we do about this? Well, it, it, it goes back. It goes, uh, if you look at, uh, James, which I've been teaching on Sunday, James says that those desires, uh, although he eventually gets around to talking about the world and the devil, those desires are rooted in our what Christians call original sin, our, our nature after the fall, our nature, this side of Eden, that we are broken toys. And part of our brokenness is we are curved in on ourselves and everything is judged by me, myself, and I, what can I get out of it? What can I do for myself? What can I gain to make my life more comfortable? What can I do to, uh, give me advantage over my neighbor next door to me? And so we are this side of Eden, uh, you know, very broken people who are consumed with that desire for more. Uh, in uh, later on in in Luke 16, after dealing with the uh, rich man Lazarus, it, there's that that marvelous statement that Jesus told these parables because the Pharisees were greedy and they wanted money. Well, that that characterizes everything. It characterizes how we view. Um, our jobs, how we view our children, how we view our spouses, how we view our bank accounts, everything gets funneled, particularly in a country like ours, which uh, is as affluent as it is. We, it's very difficult not to be obsessed with more. That's the whole idea behind advertising to convince you that what you've got is not as good as what's out there now. And you need to get the new and improved model. And this is where. I think the ninth commandment really dovetails to what you just said is we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or get in in a way which only appears right. The language is a little bit for the small catechism, I would, for the 10 commandments, especially it's a little bit confusing because when do I scheme to get my neighbor's inheritance? Like I've never gone and tried to be a, a black widow spider or something, you know, and try to, try to get the person to put me in their will, as far as I know, I haven't, and, and, and all of that, or to try to get their house. I mean, I, I don't have the capital to even try to buy someone out. What is, what is, what is the heart of what he's speaking well, about when, here? Uh, Luther took a very radical view of money. He, he lived during a time when, on one hand, uh, the monks glorified a kind of a spirituality of asceticism where they thought, by renouncing the world, 
they they idealized poverty as a as a route to salvation by works. And on the other hand, the rich uh, were told that they could merit salvation by their almsgiving. And you know, Luther. And then at this same time, capitalism was emerging. Uh, uh, some uh, entrepreneurs were charging fifty percent interest on loans, and they were they were t- uh, uh, preying upon uh, people who needed a, a capitalization, and they'd give them a loan they couldn't afford at a rate they couldn't live with, and then once they couldn't afford it and couldn't live with it, they would they would snatch their property, and so he was living at a time when when. You know, it seemed to him upside down from a Christian perspective. He thought both the monks and the entrepreneurs had a wrong view of of uh, money and had had allowed it to consume themselves. And so he he came on with a kind of a radical view. He said, "You should give for free, lend without interest, and let go in peace what is taken in force." That was his threefold rule, and uh, it didn't get followed. <laughs> in fact, uh, 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 within years of Luther's death, uh, uh, courts were overturning uh, attempts to uh, live that way. Um, but he was quite concerned that money has an innate power to appeal to the sinful selfishness of, of human nature and to twist us. And so he said, it isn't just a matter of scheming to actually do something. It's the very fact that you would look at a, your neighbor's property and wish that somehow, some way you could get it for yourself. And so Luther took a, a very fulsome spiritual view, uh, just as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, that it isn't enough not to, to commit adultery, but that desire to commit adultery is, is evidence of sin. And Luther does the same thing with uh, coveting. He said it isn't just going mm-hmm. out of your way to uh, defraud your neighbor, and of course, but of course, he would argue that charging too much on pro- on uh, pro- we call it profiteering, uh, profiteering in a in a flood or a hurricane uh, is 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 murder. He would call it. You're murdering your neighbor by that kind of behavior. But it isn't just doing it it's that that desire that constant desire for more it it consumes us and it eats us up spiritually it displaces god from our lives this is where this commandment can it just it just brings us to our knees if we really think about it which is probably why we don't think about it a lot because we know we do this. And so commonly, and I've heard this argument, I probably made this argument myself is saying, well, okay, yeah, I do covet, but, and that's always the dangerous when we get to that but statement, (laughs) but I'm just very happy that that person, for example, here in Minnesota, they have a lake home. I'm just, I'm just happy for them that they have a nice car. So what, is there really a difference here, pastor? Because I'm just happy for them that they have it. Pastor, how would you respond to them? Well, I think uh, Luther made an interesting observation. He said that uh, the 10th commandment isn't given for bad people that go out and put a mask on and break into someone's home and take things. The 10th commandment, the ninth and 10th commandment was designed for good people, for religious people who think that they can hide behind their pious words 
and their pretty talk and somehow uh, absolve themselves of the sin that, 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 that is within them. And so uh, mm. I, I, think, <laughs> I think he wouldn't be as impressed with that. In, in a sense, what we have with the ninth the tenth commandment, it, it, the ten commandments are bookends. The first one starts with the focus on fear, love, and trust God above all things. And the ninth and tenth goes to the root of our inward desires, which show how far off the mark we are. And, and the law points of a, a bony finger of accusation at us, reminding us that, no, you don't fear, love, and trust God above all things. Actually, you want all things rather than God. And so we have that amazing bookend of the, the first commandment saying that the first you know, commandment is to fear, love, and trust God above all things. And then the last reminding us that, well, actually, um, in most cases, it's all things and not God that you fear, love, and trust. Dr. Plass, when he was on, just mentioned he was on for the first and second commandments. And his comment about the first commandment, not only does it summarize all the commandments, but it summarizes the whole Bible. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that relates here as well, that a major issue, if not the issue um, throughout scripture is this covetous heart that they'll see something and then we'll say, well, I just kind of enjoy that or I, I, I'm happy for them and how quickly, boom, it turns into... I desire that. I want that. I I need that. And and how how quickly we all can fail. Plus, I do think this pastor, and I want to hear your thoughts. Is this? There's things that someone has that I have no desire of having it. I have zero desire. But the person next to me can look at it and go, I really want that. Which then makes us a little bit um, proud. Well, look at that. I don't have that yeah. kind of coveting yeah. or very judgmental of the other person. How dare you covet? Cause I don't covet that way. Any of your, your pastoral thoughts on well, that? Well, I, I think that's exactly on target. That's that, that is what we do both in the sense that we are more sensitive to other people's sins that are like our own. And we're more censorious mm -hmm. of them because we don't like it in ourselves. but also, uh, it, we become puffed up in pride when we find somebody else sinning a little differently than we do that, well, at least I don't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned a minute ago, Dr. Pless, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. We try to get lunch together fairly frequently. And, you know, his comment was with the two final commandments, we've come full circle back to the first commandment to covet mm -hmm. is to commit idolatry, Ephesians 5, 5, which leads to death. The ninth commandment prohibits the idolatry that is embedded in the cunning desire to have for ourselves the property that God has given to the neighbor. And, you know, I think that that says it very well. And as we look at this, at the end of the ninth commandment, it so there's the prohibition and the prescription. This is kind of how we've we've talked about this to this point. And so the prohibition is don't do that. <laughs> but here this one even nails me to the ground even more, but help and be a service to him and keep in it. So you have somebody that has something that you really would like and, <clears throat> or that you wish you had. And now you're asking me to actually uplift that person and keep in it. Even if there might be a chance I can have it from them. Yeah. How does this play out? Or what are your, what are your well, first it, thoughts? It, it, I love 
in all of Luther's discussion of, of these two commandments, his focus is on the, uh, what was sometimes called the golden rule and the fact that our focus, if the problem is we're curved in on ourselves, the, the opposite of that is to be focused on the good of our neighbor and to show love to our neighbor and to try to, to take proactive steps to help our neighbor. And, uh, I, just a very homely illustration of it in reverse, uh, we're almost to Black Friday. Another few weeks will be at Black Friday where everybody will be going mm-hmm. for the, the deals in the store. And in most of these stores, there's a limited, there's a limited number of, of items. And so people will line up at, you know, hours before the store opens at four o'clock in the morning when the store opens at six and they will cut in line and they will cheat and they will push and they will knock old mm. people down. Uh, to be able to get that item for themselves. And it, it just illustrates the opposite of what Luther's saying. Instead of being the person pushing to the front of the line to make sure I get one of those 20 uh, big screen TVs that are on a ridiculously low sale price, you know, Luther's saying that, that the essence of this commandment is to convict our heart and drive us back to the gospel, drive us back to the forgiveness that comes to us in knowing that we all fail at every point and uh, because of that sense of forgiveness to extend ourselves in proactive ways to look out for our neighbor, to try to help our neighbor, to take care of, of their property as if it were our own and to extend ourselves on their behalf. I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. Actually, I kind of have a story that I think relates. It might not, but it's a fun story. So we need to take this break. We are studying the ninth and 10th commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Dennis McFadden, and we'll be right back. The word of Christ comes forth from his mouth as a sharp two-edged sword. By that word, he puts our sin to death and he raises us to new life in him. Join me, Pastor Timothy Apple, on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on KFUO as guest pastors from around the world lead us into the Word of God to help us sharpen our faith in Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. back. We are studying the ninth and 10th commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, Pastor, you, you spoke about um, Black Friday, which is coming. Actually, in, in two days, we have the joy of celebrating Reformation Day um, and a, a reminder that Christ has done it all, which is, we always need to be reminded of that. And then we're kind of thrust into this time of year, which is full of covening. And I remember this uh, as I spoke prior to our break about how, you know, well, that's not my issue. So therefore I'm better. So for example, I don't go out on Black Friday. So clearly I'm living a more sanctified life (laughs) than you are. But I remember as a high schooler, we, that was when Nintendo 64 was coming out. That was, you know, a, a play before PlayStation, before all the, um, the advent of so many games and gaming and all this kind of thing. And I remember it was a Sunday morning that it came out and my buddy shows up to church and he had been, he had driven an hour and a half that morning 
right when that store was about to open. And so there he stood in line. Actually, it was him, another friend of mine, and about 10 kids behind him. So kids who are like 10 or 11 and these 18-year-olds are standing up there. Well, when they opened the doors, they ran in to get this because they heard there's only five N64s there. And they ran in inevitably leaving at least five or six kids under the age of 10 without a Nintendo 64. And I remember, <laughs> so they're walking out with these in the 64s and this is crazy. But, but I remember judging them so greatly because how dare them do that? And literally, probably the next week or so, I went and got an autograph of a guy that I really wanted to get an autograph for. And I like got up early, got in line and made sure that I got ahead of everybody else and made sure that I was going to get that autograph. So pastor, I, there it is. I yeah. need repentance and Jesus. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, see, well, I know you do. <laughs> I do too. Uh, That's right. Uh, it, it, it's an analog to what C.S. Lewis said when he talked about pride. And he said, the person that goes around uh, pointing their finger to themselves all the time and say, look how great I am. And the person who runs around saying, oh, woe is me. I'm just, uh, I'm not attractive. I'm not intelligent. I don't have any gifts. They both have the same problem. They're self-centered. Mm -hmm. Their focus right. is all about them. And Luther kept saying that there's a two-sidedness to the coin of mammon. One side is that ascetic flight away from it, or maybe that pride that I'm not obsessed with it. And the other is that obsessive desire to acquire it. And that it, both sides has, have the same problem. They are dominated by mammon. They're dominated by, by money and greed. And, uh, in a sense, the pride that is reflective of, well, I'm glad I don't have that sin is just as toxic as the one that says, I want more and I want it now. And it's, it's two sides of that same awful spiritual reality. And the, and the scripture is loaded with examples of, of people doing that kind of coveting. You, you have, uh, uh, the, the experts in the law in, in Luke 20, devouring widows houses, and then trying to claim that they're, they're spiritual. You have Isaiah five, uh, condemning those that go house to house, trying to acquire more fields at the, at the impoverishment of the people that live there. You've got Achan and Joshua seven. You've got Herod, uh, taking his brother's wife. You've got Absalom coveting his father's kingdom. You got Jezebel and that, that Naboth's vineyard. So the, the scripture is just loaded with examples of how that, that brokenness of our soul, that sinful inward directed curved in on itself nature we all inherit from Adam works itself out in practice. And if you live in a in an in an absolutely ap affluent country as we do, the temptation is everywhere. That's I, I think it isn't for nothing that the proverb says, Lord, don't make me don't make me poor or I'll steal and don't make me rich or I'll ignore you. And that's the problem mm -hmm. we Americans face that we are so rich. There is so many opportunities for wealth that we've rationalized away the danger of of mammon and made this peace where right oh that's a good point that's a good ending to that because i'm thinking a lot there's two tendencies that i have as i look at these commandments is that i want to make a list okay so here is a list of most common things that we covet which is fine, but then I know my own heart will go in a direction 
that kind of gets a prideful list or a complete despair list, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then that's, and that's dangerous in itself. So that's why I'm, I'm trying to be very careful this morning to not just come up with a list. And I'm also, I'm trying to think about how the tendency then is to think asceticism is the best option, because if I don't have anything, then therefore I won't want anything. And why? And Luther, I mean, Luther knows this. I yeah. mean, like you mentioned prior, he knows this. So, so how do we live as the baptized, the redeemed and, and died for, risen for, ascended for children of Christ? How do we live our lives in light of this coveting that seeps in or sneaks in all the time? What are your first thoughts? Well, I, we're back to that issue of how does the law function in the life of the believer? Uh, Luke 18, you see the effect of the law is either to produce contrition as in the case of the man who beats his chest and says, woe is me. Uh, and he doesn't look up to heaven and the Pharisee who's smugly self-righteous, uh, it, it will either create, uh, if you try to live by the law, you will either become despairing or you will become self-righteous. And the baptized believer says, I am not under law. I, I look to the scripture as a guide for uh, what God counts as good works, but I'm not under the law and I'm not going to try to make a law out of asceticism. I'm not going to add up what I just subtract from my life and then pat myself on the back for subtracting what others are adding, nor am I going to, uh, to uh, go pell-mell into a consumer culture and think that I've got to have the latest of everything. Uh, I think the awareness of our own need to be daily repentant, to daily come before the Lord and and receive forgiveness fresh and free. His mercies are new every morning, and to accept that, to to drown the old Adam every morning, and uh, rise up as a baptized believer who goes out the new man in Christ, and uh, recognize that we are never going to get a perfection in this this side of glory. And Luther addresses this when you go in the small catechism to the daily prayers. It's very clear that he does not leave us in the Ten Commandments with, by the way, you're going to be able to fulfill this perfectly. He does, he does, he does not no. do that, and that's why he goes right to the creed right after. Um, but the, in, the, in the daily prayers, he very clearly begins each day saying, Lord, help me, basically. Um, to live this life, keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. But the ending prayer doesn't say, Lord, I hope that I did well, or I did pretty well. No, he says, <laughs> I pray that you would forgive me all my sins yes. where I've done wrong and graciously keep me this night. I love it. And here's the other aspect of this. When you pray the evening prayer, um, there's, a, there's a great opportunity at night, and I've done this with my own children, is that you pray this evening prayer and forgive me all my sins. And that's where me as a father will say, well, Christ has died for you this day. Yes. It's a perfect opportunity to bring up, okay, uh, Lord, forgive me. Okay, boom, here we are. There it is. So that's, I love that back and forth. Never saying that you can be perfect in this, but also saying, Lord, help me that I don't covet that backyard of somebody else. You know, just give an example for my friend. And for you, our listeners, I do encourage you, what are the things that you covet so easily that this comes into your, your heart so quickly? And today we pray that one, 
you know, for, for forgiveness. And we know that in Christ, we are forgiven by the blood and his death, life, life, death, and resurrection. But also at the same time, Lord, help me to live that more holy and sanctified life. Pastor, we've kind of been doing ninth and 10th commandments a little bit different here. Just wanted to go back just to the ninth commandment. Anything else you want to highlight from that command specifically? Well, just, just the act, the fact that, that, what Luther does here is he underlies the craftiness and the deceptiveness of the sinful heart. Uh, he coins a term that he uses elsewhere. He calls it financery. And he says, we have some, we have such, such elegant excuses and rationalizations for our financery, for why we do what we do and why it's really okay and how we can look out to our own advantage and, and somehow, uh, absolve ourselves of that naive selfishness and greed of the old Adam. But, uh, in a sense, as I, as I said earlier, the ninth and 10th commandments are radical in that when we look at ourselves in the mirror of the ninth and 10th commandments, it drives us back to the first commandment and the reminder that, that we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things, which sets us up for, as you said, the, the creed which tells us what God has done in creation, redemption, and sanctification to provide for us what we really need. I mean, if you, uh, we haven't talked much about the New Testament passages on contentment, but the Apostle Paul has some marvelous uh, sections where he deals with contentment. And in, when he writes to Timothy about the, the in, in chat, 1 Timothy 6, about the, the danger of being obsessed with money and, and talks with, talks about how uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so I, I think that there is an organic connection, if you will, between Luther's discussion of the ninth commandment, the 10th commandment, then following with the Apostles' Creed. Now, Pastor, let's, let's go back to the simplistic on this is we can talk about coveting. I want more. What does it, and knowing that in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can be content. And so, what does it, what does that mean to be content? Because um, there's different songs. I am content. You know, <laughs> you have the different songs that kind of say these words. And we don't. Once again, we maybe sometimes we'll hear that I'm content. But what does it mean to be content as a Christian? Gosh, you ask good questions, Brady. Um, I, I think because I'm confused. I think I come closest to being content when I focus upon on the forgiveness offered me in Christ and the incredible blessings afforded to me in Christ. And the opposite of more is enough. If you're at a dinner table and they say, "Would you like seconds?" and you say, "Yeah, I want more." And if you are full, if you're sated, if you're satisfied, you say, no, I have enough. And it's that sense of discovering our, our deepest satisfaction in the provision that God has made for us in Christ. I think contentment comes in recognizing that another bauble, another toy, another game, another car, another wife, another this or that is not going to bring me satisfaction and happiness, but my satisfaction, my happiness come through Jesus Christ. 
to begin that conversation, I once heard someone say towards the end of their life, they said, you know, when you get towards the end of your life, you never wish you would have bought more shirts. You never wish you would have gone to more countries. You never wish you would have, you know, that you would have um, made a little more money. Maybe, maybe sometimes some of those things happen, but, but more or less you're thinking about the important things. And I pray that the Lord continues one to bring repentance, realization about my lack of contentment, my, my increased amount of coveting that happens in my life, but also that the Lord gives us that gift of contentment. And we pray that it happens mm -hmm. and understand that what I have is, and often we speak in this language in a secular sense, I have my family, I have this, but as you said so well, that all this is, all that is covered by the, by the grace that we have in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And I think that's, that's a, a good reminder for us. It goes back to Hebrews, right? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where contentment truly comes. Well, and, and, and we also find uh, when, you, when you have that sense that, that you have enough in Christ, it liberates you to reach out in love uh, to your neighbor and to do those things that Luther talks about in the large catechism. Uh, in fulfilling the ninth and tenth commandments, where we're actively engaged in furthering our neighbor's good, we're actively engaged in helping a poor person, we're actively uh, working uh, to secure and to preserve that that person's uh, well-being. And you know, I, I like to say that in a sense, uh, Paul talked about faith, hope, and love. Uh, faith is our anchor in the past because it tells us that on April 3rd, 33 AD or thereabouts, I have been objectively forgiven in Jesus Christ. Hope gives me an anchor in the future because it tells me that, well, I don't know how uh, this day is going to end because it may be an awful day. I do know that at the end of all days, I have a great uh, reward awaiting in the one who says, well done, good and faithful servant. And when my anxiety about the future and my despair about the past are taken care of. I'm liberated in the present to love. And uh, that's part of Luther's logic here that, that focusing on, on more takes us away from focusing on our neighbor. And he keeps bringing it back, especially in the large catechism. He keeps bringing it back to our involvement in the life of our neighbor and the things that we do to be of help to them. I want to speak a little bit about the 10th commandment where he says we should free and love God. Now, reminder again, it always it starts with God, <laughs> that the 10 commandments point us to God first. So it's not a, you do all these wrong things and I'll do better. It's, you know, things begin with God. And so that we do not entice or force away our neighbor's wife, workers or animals, or turn them against him. Now, this is especially hard to try to figure out how this works in America because there's always that enticement. Uh, if you come to our business, you get a $10,000, um, uh, what do you call it, signing bonus. Yes. Especially nowadays, you know, um, or, you know, come to this place or come to that place, come to this church, come to this. All we're enticed all the time. So I find the 10th commandment to be very trying. As we look at art and our culture, any thoughts? Oh, well, I, I I agree. In fact, I'd say it's 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 almost impossibly painful and demonically devised because 
you know, Lu- as I said earlier, Luther thought that anything above a 5% uh, interest rate and they ought to deny you communion, deny you absolution, and deny you even a Christian funeral. If mm-hmm. you were, if you charged more than 5% interest, or if you were a, 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 a shrewd businessman who took advantage of your customers, you, you ought to be denied any kind of, of Christian counts, consolation even <laughs> because he thought it was so, so devastating. Well, if that was true in, in the 1500s, what is it in, in our age when, as you say, every advertisement is designed to entice us, every, uh, every effort is, you know, incentivize us to, to be dissatisfied with what we have and who we have it with and to find a better deal out there. And I, I don't know how you live in an American consumer culture without being affected by it. I think it just reminds us that, that each culture has its own besetting sins and, and greed is the one that is going to be very prevalent in our culture. And that's the one that we have to be vigilant about because it comes at us in every which way imaginable. This is where here's the other struggle, as I mentioned prior, that we can try to make our list. For example, one question that has often come up in Bible class is, okay, all right, so I don't want to entice my neighbor's wife away. That one's a very clear, that's wrong. Everyone in the room can say, yep, yeah, okay, you don't want to do thing. that or our husband. But then the workers one. So, I mean, you lit- we literally in our culture have headhunters who are trying <laughs> to find workers, you know, and how, how do we reconcile that? And you kind of alluded to it. Maybe we can't because it's just such a struggle. I'm not sure about animals, you know, but, but the workers one always creates a great conversation that I'm not sure I have ever answered real well. How would you take a stab at that? Well, and I don't have a really good answer either. Uh, for, (laughs) for two decades of my life, I had 200 employees and I, I was the CEO of a retirement community with 400 residents. And I was constantly trying to prevent my workers from being seduced to other jobs. And I was constantly trying to. Uh, induce people to who, good quality people to come work for me. And I will agree. It's very hard to be a Christian in that kind of environment because so much of what you find yourself doing is at base, pretty calculated, shrewd, manipulative stuff. And it is, it is not easy. I, I, I met a payroll for 20 years and and uh, it is not an easy project. So this is where I, I appreciate your honesty in that, and, and your perspective as someone who was in a nonprofit world, but yet in the you know the secular world in this sense, because often as pastors we don't fully understand because. At the end of the day, we will be able to stand on that. I preach the word. I administer the sacraments. I lift up people in, uh, in prayer and praise to our Lord. Um, and I, I do all these things and trust that the Lord will provide. One interesting aspect that I, I love reading about is American Lutheran history. And one of the earliest issues for the Scandinavians and the Germans and anyone who came from more of a state church dynamic is he came to America and there was kind of a competition of churches where it's like, okay, that we were like that pastor. So we'll go there or they have more of these programs. So we'll go there. 
And so it is it would be foolish to think this is not an issue here in um, in America and the church, even though we can, re- I want to say redeem it, but we can are able to say, well, it's no. God's word, you know, and, that's and, what leads, but it's still there. And not, not to put too fine a point on it, uh, District President Finneran, but uh, the reality is uh, a lot of those calls that get issued are being issued to people who are happily in calls now. Uh, we're facing a situation at Emmanuel where we're looking for a DCE. And so we are going to happy people in happy churches and saying, don't you think it would be a good idea to come be at our church? And, you know, it's hard to do that without succumbing to the very things that, that Luther warns against in the ninth and 10th commandments. And so I, I guess, Lord have mercy. I mean, <laughs> what what do we do with this? This, I mean, this this is this is a really difficult one I, in almost every step of our lives. I think being aware of it, uh, uh, the danger I see in a in a affluent culture is it we we swim in it all the time, and we're not aware that we are even in it. And one of the virtues of the Ten Commandments is that they they put a rather a polished mirror up to our face and show us what we really are and who we really are and drive us to a position of, of repentance. Uh, not that we think we can live the law, but we realize indeed we can't hardly get in five minutes down the, the road without, you know, violating it at one point or another. And it drives us back to the Lord in repentance, which reminds us of his provision for us and the sufficiency of it which is our only hope of satisfaction as opposed to, and contentment as opposed to coveting. So in the midst of making these difficult decisions, recognizing the, the proneness we have to sinfulness, even in, in our thought life, if not in our actions, it reminds us of, of that constant need to live as, as, you know, as Luther said in the first one of the uh, 95 Theses, when Jesus uh, called us to repentance. It was a it was an everyday uh, process of repentance, not a one time process. And this is where I received good counsel about. Uh, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to gather my thoughts here because this is, and I would remind you, our listeners, this is really good because you're catching both Pastor and I with just how do you navigate these waters. Um, and, and that's where I've heard good counsel when it comes to, for example, the, the, the call process, at least in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is exactly what he said, that it involves a church in prayer, praying to the Lord of the harvest to seek a pastor, DCE, or a teacher. And often you're going, quote, from the field, meaning that this pastor is serving in a congregation, maybe doing so fruitfully. I myself went through a number of calls at my previous parish of the beloved people in Sartell. And that feels a lot like here, trying to entice or force away my neighbor's wife, workers or animals or pastors, DCEs and teachers. <laughs> I mean, you feel like it's right there. And, and the, the counsel I received is 1 Timothy chapter 4, where it says, For everything's created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. 
And the counsel that he, that he had, which goes with what we're talking about is that whenever you're doing this process, that you are making sure that the word of God and prayer are part of absolutely everything that you're doing. And that at least points us in the right direction, points us back to Christ and reminds us what the main purpose of this is, but still leaves us with that uncomfortable feeling that we're not urging them to stay and do their duty. We're not helping them to be in keep of service and keeping it. We're always going to need Christ in the midst of all of this. Pastor, your thoughts? I Simply to sum up the idea that uh, contentment, which is the opposite of coveting, is a gift of God. Mm. Uh, when, we, when we nurture faith, we become strong in faith. When we nurture faith and recognize God's gifts to us and, and meditate on scriptures like Psalm 145 or Ecclesiastes 2 or 1 Timothy 6 or Proverbs 3 or Psalm 37, when we look at those scriptures that talk about contentment and ask the Lord to give us a gift of contentment, it is at those points that we are most likely uh, to be freed up in order to uh, be contented, to be generous, to be grateful, to be concerned for others, and to fear, love, and trust God above all things. Pastor, with about a minute left in our time, how would you summarize these two commandments and encourage our listeners in Christ? Uh, I would say that the, the, the two commandments sum up the whole Ten Commandments because they serve to be bookends to draw us back to the first one, and the, the first matter of all, the most important thing, is to fear, love, and trust God above all things. And insofar as our failures to live up to the ninth and tenth commandment remind us of our need uh, for the first commandment and our need for God's grace, they draw us to the Lord to receive freshly from him pardon, absolution, forgiveness, and it is a forgiven, absolved person who is best equipped to deal with his neighbor in a spirit of generosity from a position of contentment. Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, clearly confessing Christ, and boy, do we need it from the ninth and 10th commandments in Luther's small catechism. Pastor McFadden, thank you for being with us on Concord Matters. Thank you, Pastor Finneran. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finneran. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.